I'm just going with the flow. So, You're listening to Three Wise Truck Guys from Key Advisors. Three Wise Truck Guys for our latest discussion. Hey, Mark, John is uh, back from the island, so uh, we welcome John back. We had a little hula, hula music. We could play that maybe behind our... our uh, Welcome, John, John, John did you put on a grass skirt and dance a little bit while you were out there? I didn't put on a grass skirt, but uh, just for the record, I've got a Mai Tai on the corner of my desk here, and I'm okay with that. There you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, welcome back. Um, we missed you, but and we are envious as well. We're going to have another. Yeah, we're going to have another parts topic today. We're going to turn our attention to some inventory performance and to parts integrity and what happens when you start putting in parts inventory integrity and demand integrity and start managing this inventory on a daily basis. We've got another special guest joining us today. We'll let uh, him introduce himself here in a few minutes. But uh, as we always do, first things first, Mark, uh, I'll let you kick it off again. Best practices that you've observed over the last time uh, that we were together. So I think I want to talk about the reverse side first, okay? What uh, what I've seen that's bad, and I've seen this for a long time. I uh, Working with a uh, peer group that we run of uh, fixed operations managers, service managers, and so forth, and they decided to bring all their service advisors together with our meeting last week, and it was very, very interesting. It was kind of prompted by a study that we saw where there's a 39% turnover rate for service advisors. Uh, in fact, 50% of all advisors last 26 months or less in their current job. So you start thinking about that. We all know it's a high-pressure job. We all know it's one of the more important jobs in a dealership. If you think about it, the service advisor meets and greets or, or puts your brand on display to almost every customer that dealer's ever done business with and it's a stressful job. They're responsible for taking care of the customers and uh, keeping them happy and keeping them back and selling. And they don't have control typically over the process or the throughput that's going on. I want to read just a few of the comments from this group when asked what's the worst part about their job or what would cause them to quit. Now, just read a few of them. Overwhelm lack of support double the work with all these OE programs, lack of accountability of teammates, money versus stress level, overtime, staying late most of the time, and then working from home often on the computer once I get home, especially at the end of the month. Salary versus hourly pay, uh, the ones that were on incentive felt they would be better off on salary overloaded checking emails at home time management is impossible no onboarding when they were hired just kind of thrown out to the desk poor culture and basically feeling underappreciated you think about that is that you know is that that's something we've seen for a long time isn't it it is on top of that they work an average of 45 46 hours a week and 30 percent of them are scheduled for over 50 hours a week Okay, and just like any other position in the dealership, what they really want is meaningfulness in their job and some sort of control. That brings me to the real topic of structure or lack thereof. You know, these OEs put out 
whether it's I three sixty with International or Pack Car Solutions or Assist with Mac Volvo and and all these different programs and software, Uptime Pro and so forth, uh, and it's pushed out to the dealerships and it is double work most of the time for the front line because it was never integrated into the process. No one ever got buy-in of of why do we have this other project? Why do we have this other software and so forth, okay? The flip side of that is the dealers that have taken the time, whether we've worked with them or they figured it out on their own, to integrate the technology and these new software programs into their daily process to where they all benefit from them really provides efficiencies for those advisors. And I, although we don't have a study for that, I am sure that that longevity, that retention is much longer once they feel part of something. So that's my little soapbox this morning. Okay. Um, to, to everybody listening to us, if you haven't integrated all these things into your process and built the structure, I think, uh, and you're struggling with turnover at the service advisor position, something you might want to think about. What was that turnover level, Mark? 39%? 39%, but 50% of them don't last three years. Wow. Wow. Scary. It is. It is. Scary. And we see it every day. Yep. John, how about you? What have you, you, you seen? Unlike Mark, I'm going to follow instructions here. Okay, the best thing that I've uh, seen, and actually I carried this over from last month, but, uh, you know, we've all known for a long time that there are limitations in terms of parts growth and what you can do. And since that was the subject last month, I just want to say I'm seeing some dealers having some real success, uh, private labeling or, uh, or doing some branding other than their OEM brand try and reach uh, owner operators, used truck buyers, that secondary market that, that doesn't even think about doing business with a OEM dealer because of the perception that their price is too high. So uh, to me, uh, and I'm, a, I'm on affiliated with, with several dealerships, but uh, you know, I, I've seen that not just within the, within the dealerships that I'm representing, but I'm seeing a lot of people starting to figure out we need a separate place to go we need a separate brand we need a separate badge uh and, and the you know we've all seen some of the P&Ls for this year and there was, 2022 is going to go down it's just a fabulous year but those dealers who have uh, private labeled and started to figure out a new way a new strategy to reach the, the, those market segments that won't walk in the OEM dealer's front door those dealers P&Ls are particularly uh attractive so hmm. uh, a lot, of, a lot of success here with people starting to get out from behind the OEM badge and figure out how do we reach that, that particular segment of the market. Interesting. Yeah, what about, very interesting. What about the flip side, John? Something not so good. Well, uh, so, uh, Keith, in this day and age, and this, is, uh, this is a big-time M&A market. There's a lot of dealers that are looking for the edge of the pool and looking for ways out. And, uh, and I have seen three examples of this here in the last six months. Uh, you know, the, the advice that I would give to any dealer is, as you're going through your process of selling your dealership, don't forget your OEM gets a vote, okay? And I'm yeah. not talking uh, as an OEM guy here, even though uh, I sat in that chair for a long time and had a lot of experience with this. I'm saying, man, you can spend a lot of money and you can, uh, you can get way down the tracks uh, on trying to put a deal together only to find out that, uh, you know, you 
you surprised your OEM and uh, if you would have opened up a line of communication and had a discussion with them about the process that you're going through and where you could have gotten some advanced feedback and you could have saved yourself and perhaps a prospective buyer a lot of time and aggravation along the way. These OEMs do get a vote and many states recognize that they've got, uh, they've got rights too. So uh, it's just always something to be thinking about. And I've seen, I've seen uh, three examples here lately where that's really not worked out very well for sellers to, to think that you can sneak up on your OEM and surprise them at the 11th hour. Interesting. 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 You know, that, that M&A activity is continuing to go on. It's, it's fascinating right now, you know, what's happening in the marketplace. Well, I have to do that in the machine sector, you know, the, the, the yeah. caterpillars of the world, if you will. That's, that's the direction we're going, and uh, a lot of people don't want to think about that or hear about that. But uh, you know what? It's it's conceivable we might even have fewer truck dealers per brand than we do uh, machine dealers per brand yeah. at some point in time. So that's that's not unthinkable. It's going on right before our very eyes. Yep. Well, mine is a combination of <clears throat> both good and bad at the same time. So we, I was with a internal peer group that we do with one one large dealer group that had been there probably three weeks ago. And the conversation, uh, one, one of the first conversations we had was about <clears throat> um, projects, projects that had failed and they just kind of went away quietly and nobody really noticed an initiative that, that never got traction or it did, but it just kind of went away because nobody paid attention to it. And what was very interesting and I think it was the very positive side first was the dealer's reaction to when we had this discussion. He, uh, he said, hey, whatever happened with this project? I know we're back doing it again, but why did it fail in the first place? And nobody could really answer that question. And he said, well, what's happening now? And nobody could really answer that question. And it's not a project that we're engaged with him on, but... But what was very interesting was, as they started to, to talk about what was the real result that they wanted from this project, it was not what they were measuring. What they were measuring totally was different than what the hope was, what the intent was of the project. And it really started them thinking about how do we measure success in this? <clears throat> how do we train to it? How do we get people to actually engage in it? And how do we not lose focus on it so that we have to repeat this thing again and in four years and so i found it both really positive from the dealer side that that the dealer really asked some pretty tough questions of his leadership team there was give or take what maybe 25 people in this meeting of, of the of their leadership team gms um i guess about 35 gms location uh, vps and so forth and and uh this became a big it what should have been about a half an hour discussion ended up being somewhere around two and a half to three hours of, of problem solving on why did these projects never take hold and and, and grasp um, grasp the ground, I guess I would say, and and, and really gain foothold in, in what they did. And so that to me was was a very eye-opening experience. It was very good to see the dealer acknowledge it. And uh, at the same time, maybe not bad, but, uh, but you could tell that there was just a lot of not understanding even on <clears throat> even within this group of, of the leadership team as to why the initiative was in place in the first in the first place 
they really didn't know. And certainly the, the entry level people, the people that were trying to execute had no idea that this was why this was being done. So I found that interesting. You know, Keith, I'll just we used to go ahead, John. Go ahead, John. I was <clears throat> Keith, comments back to yours, Mark. Actually, uh, you know, as a dealer principal, you just keep adding more projects and more stuff to the plate and nothing ever falls out. And eventually what you're left with is a staff and everything's the same priority. And so, you know, Deming said a system left unattended regresses back to its lowest level. OK, yep. if you as the leader of that organization don't help these guys sort out what's important and what's not important. And frequently that means that something that's on their plate right now has to come off their plate, right. then and, and this is inevitable. You know, people's plates get too full and, and they're going to decide for themselves what the priorities are. And these projects tend to get a half-life of about six months and then they fall off the table when the dealer principal quits looking because nothing else came off the table and they're, they got too much to do. We used to call it the program of the month. Yep. Yeah. Up with it long enough and it'll go away, right? Yep. <laughs> That's right, Mark. There's a lot of truth there. There is a lot of truth. Well, again, always thought-provoking with the two of you on as we talked about what we've observed, what's good and bad. So appreciate that. Mark, two more months of parts, and then we get to venture on to something else. You okay I with keep, that? I keep well, yeah, you're the boss, okay, but I keep saying I don't I don't understand, but every time we have one, I understand more and more. But you know, I always thought Anybody can sell a quarter fender. So well, well, let's you're, find you're, out. You're probably, you're probably right on that. So, All right, so today's discussion, fellows, we're going to talk about parts performance, in particular turns, fill rate, obsolescence, but what, and really what moves the needle. What makes that needle? Turns, fill rate, what moves the needle? Uh, what, what makes those numbers really change? For me, in terms of parts department, this is the most important piece of the parts operations. And I think it's also the most fun because you can see as you do certain things, the output that's gonna happen. So with us today, we've got Kent Ely. Uh, Kent is is the key advisors controller, but he also does um, this parts inventory work, parts performance, in, uh, parts inventory performance work. And um, Kent, welcome to the Three Wise Truck Guys. And uh, we're glad you're here. and. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? Thanks. It's uh, it's good to be here. Um, tell tell the folks who I am. Well, I'm I'm Kent Ely, and like like you said, I'm the controller here for Key Advisors. Um, typically, work with with a couple of uh, uh, dealership parts departments throughout the year, as well as. Um, teaching some classes uh, for, for OEs in terms of uh, parts operations management. Um, been doing this for about 15 years. And uh, before that, uh, well, I, I guess I'm an old retired truck salesman. World-class truck salesman. Don't you show <clears throat> We're really happy we got you, Kent. Uh, I'm really glad to be here. So. <laughs> Hey, Kent, uh, when, when Keith was uh, kind of going on and on the way he's been known to do on some of these calls, uh, he started talking about fill rates and he started talking about overage. And this sounds to sound like asset management uh, to me. And, uh, you know, I had no idea that we could actually train some parts guys to 
in the vernacular of the used truck business, maybe there's a, <laughs> a, a used truck managers just being developed in the parts organization. Is that, is that a possibility or am I just being optimistic here? <laughs> I'm just going to going to plead the fifth on this one, Jim. <laughs> I don't even want to go there. Let me, let, me, let me make that a little easier for you. Why don't you give us a flavor for some of the projects that we've been working with some of our clients on and, uh, and maybe how they relate back to the fundamentals of asset management. Well, John, a, a good example of perhaps of what, what you're uh, asking about would be um, the client that I've been working with now for just about the last two years. Um, that's a, uh, they're a smaller single location, um, light duty and medium duty dealer actually, um, that we've, that we've worked with. Um, and they were a current client, um, that we worked with in the service department. Um, and we got in involved with them on the parts side because of a perceived overall, um, fill rate issues, um, that they were, that they were having over the back counter. So Kent, how how did you start? Did you start with analytics uh, to prove that they had a fill rate problem, or how did you get started with this project? Honestly, Mark, the, the analytics, um, as we, if we were to go back and and look at them, they would say that we had a pretty strong fill rate um, most of the time. Um, and so where where we began on this particular side of things is we have a. Um, it's a self-assessment um, that that we put um, clients that that we work with. We we have them fill that out, and in this case, we we approached it from not only having the parts manager um, and his team fill this out, but we also had um, part of ownership uh, take a look at it, and we had um, members of the service team um, do an assessment on the parts department as well. And so that's, that's where we began. And uh, that assessment looks at nine different elements of, of the department. And it, um, it not only confirmed um, perhaps that particular month what we saw in terms of, of the fill rate um, or what they were thinking, um, but it, it also helped, helped us um, identify some other areas of concern as well. So, Kent, just go ahead, John. Go through the project. Everybody on the project participate? Any naysayers with it? Any objections that we had to mm -hmm. overcome in terms of the, the analysis and the results of the analysis and how the results were interpreted? So, the, the first couple months, this this um, particular project, we we started this right in the middle of COVID. So um, we did everything virtual uh, for the first eight months of this project, and um, we had we had great involvement um, from from the parts manager. Um, we had uh, the service director sitting in on on the first couple months of, of these calls. And we had the owner uh, sitting in on these calls as well for the, probably the first six weeks. And um, so not only did we 
you do this um, assessment, but then we followed it up with um, with a a, a profit clinic um, to help them go through the calculations, see where where they were succeeding, see where they where they could um, um, improve as well. Okay. And so it helped them understand what the calculations meant and and what they might need to work on um, as we move forward. So, so Ken, I've got kind of a general question here. And the general question is, you know, hey, we did this analysis. What did they do with it? I, I guess more specifically, were there changes made to processes? Were there changes made to structure? How did how'd the dealer take this analysis that we kind of jointly worked together with them and, and decide how to do something with it? The, this has been a, uh, it's been a great project to work on because the dealer has been very open and very involved in in everything, um, the parts manager um, has been hungry for education and um, wanting wanting to make make changes and didn't necessarily always know the right way to, to do things, and so it they've made they've made changes in processes. Uh, we've made changes um, with DMS setups. Um, We've, you know, we've been allowed to really to investigate all sorts of, of different areas and make changes. Um, and it has, they have seen um, all kinds of positive results from this. So, Ken, I'm going to go back. Go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry. I keep interrupting. Uh, I was going to say, so, you know, what are the typical steps when you start implementing once you got through the diagnosis and a turn to implementation, uh, particularly if you were still doing it virtually or were you on site by then? And <clears throat> what were the steps you went through for the implementation? So um, we've, for the almost two years that we've done this, we've been on site um, a total of four days. Everything else has been virtual. So 90% of it we've done um, just like we're talking here today. Um and after we, when we got through that, um, the initial assessment, um, we identified probably three main areas of, of concern that, that needed to be addressed. And we, we worked together to put together plans um, on how they, how they could address them. And so um, the first one that, that we focused on was, was the fill rate issue. And um, so it, this became what, what Keith and I love to do. It's the inventory integrity um, processes and getting those pieces, the daily pieces installed um, to make sure that, that, that the, um, the DMS system is working correctly for them to help, help them manage their, their inventories um, both from an ordering standpoint and, and what it says that, that we've got on hand or on order, um, we put in, in place a, a, a stock ordering program um, that made sense for them um, that would help them achieve their goals. And then looking at things um, like a lost sales management process as well and, and getting those pieces installed. Ken, I'm going to come back to what you were talking about, the analysis that the 
perception was uh, the fill rate issue, but you said that that may not have been the entire issue. Can you talk to that a little bit more? Sure. If, if we went back to, I believe it was the second month that, um, that we were on this project and we looked at their fill rate for that month, the number that stands out in my mind, I believe, was 16% fill rate. Holy so, moly. So, so it's 16 problem. out of 100 times we got it right. That um, was during the supply chain issues, though? or It was just at the beginning. Okay. Um, here's what happened. It, it wasn't that bad. Again, this was a perceived... That... that the perception wasn't nearly as bad as, as that particular number. That number um, presented a, uh, an opportunity on how they were, honestly, how they were ordering and receiving parts um, into the system. And so we, we didn't have good data for that, for that particular month. Um, of course, Mark, you know, as, as a service director, you're going to jump all over that number and, and and you're going to beat me to beat me to a pulp because I can only get it right 16 percent of the time. Yeah, as it is, you need a barbed wire fence between those two departments, typically, right? So. Um, I'm not sure barbed wire does this good yeah. good enough job all the time. Yeah. Um, so, Keith, take me take me back to what your question was. Yeah, so so you um, we're talking about the. That the perception was fill rate, but that there was other things that come out of both the assessment and the initial analysis. That yeah. They did. So um, that was the perception. The truth was, fill rate was probably about eighty-five percent. Okay. Um, to begin with. So what was what what caused the big the big gap there between sixteen and eighty-five? Um, it it was a a, a receipt on. Um, a bulk purchase and how okay. how things were ordered, how things were receded into the system. Okay. And um, honestly, it came down to making one modification on on um, how we how we marked that order in, and um, problem solved. Okay. Hey Keith, I got another question here, but it's your company. Absolutely. Getting, Go ahead. Get off here by Mark and I every every opportunity. Are we good? Or you got another question? Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Look, uh, Kent. One thing: every project has its challenges, right? And you had talked about the pandemic, right? So talking about a roadblock, you can't get a much much bigger roadblock than that. Only being able to spend a couple of days in the dealership, uh, you know, that relationship there. So, so we had one big roadblock already to, to get in the way of the success of this project. And that was, uh, that was a pandemic. You know, sometimes a disengaged dealer principal can be a problem. You sort of touched it. That uh, wasn't the case here. And a lot of employee in, uh, engagement. So, you know, any, any new novel uh, roadblocks come up along the way here in terms of uh, trying to improve both the perception and the fill rate? Um, I mean, the biggest roadblock in terms of engagement, um, honestly, was were tech, technological issues. Um, you know, just learning, learning how to share screens and 
you know, things that we take for granted and helping me, you know, show me how you do the process. Um, it's, it's a little bit more difficult to do uh, virtually than it is on site. Um, and so sometimes it would take um, two or three takes, um, kind of like making a podcast, right? Uh, right. Takes, takes a few takes um, <clears throat> to get it right. And, um, you know, finally we, we would under, be able to understand each other. Um, you know, and, and that honestly was the biggest, the biggest um, roadblock. Um, so how, how were the results? Did it, uh, did it impact the total dealership? Or did it, I, I'm sure it impacted the parts department. And what about the service department? We know that's the most important department, right? <laughs> right. It, it, it always is the, uh, the most important department. So, um, yeah. What I can tell you, um, the back counter fill rate, um, we broke it down. We, we had a meeting probably a year ago in, a year ago, August, and we, we broke it down and we started focusing on four different vendors, um, <clears throat> four major vendors um, that probably 85 to 90% of, of their parts sales come from. Um, and over, over the last 17 months, so um, we have... We've seen over those four four vendors, um, our minimum off-the-shelf fill rate for parts that have achieved stocking status has been 87.6%. That's our minimum. Um, our max has been 94%, and our average has been right there at 91.3 for those for those four sources. Um, I bet you bet you wish you had other dealers that could do that, Mark. Yeah, I do. For your shop, I really do. It affect really affects the shop. It really affects the whole department, the whole dealership. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, um, there. We we started measuring a, a different, a, another metric. Probably, well, it was the end of end of July, and it was one that the. Uh, that the parts manager had actually learned through some OE training. And so he said, here's this measure they gave me. And so we, we applied this um, stocking parts inventory breadth. Um, so now we're looking at the same four sources um, that for parts that have achieved stocking status and um, 98% of of their parts that have achieved stocking status in those four um, those four sources, um, they either had on stock or on order. Um, in terms of just on stock or in on yeah in stock on hand, eighty nine percent of those they had. Those, those are July thirty first numbers. Um, supply chain issues, right? Yeah. And I can tell you that um, those numbers at the end of October increased to 
I believe, 92% and just short of 99%. So explain that metric if you can, Kent, because I'm not sure that everybody gets that metric. I'm not sure I get that metric. Okay, we'll start with the denominator, um, which is, in this case, it's all parts that have achieved stocking status um, in those those for those four vendors that, that we've identified with this dealership. And so parts that have met stocking status, we're saying that it's a minimum number of demands over a certain period of time. In this case, we're looking at um, three months with demand in a 12-month period, rolling 12-month period. So we're taking that number, we're dividing that into um, the parts that meet that that we have on hand. So how many part numbers with stocking status in those four, four OE or four vendor accounts um, do we actually have on hand? Okay. So they were at 89% at that point in time. Okay. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. So what did dealers say about all this? Well, um, so, you know, the, the dealer is, is very happy um, because, you know, we've, we've spent a lot of this time talking about, about the fill rate piece. Um, but, you know, there, there were a couple of other areas that, that they did focus on as well. And, and one was the uh, general ledger to um, physical inventory reconciliation piece. And um, this this is actually a piece that we've just we got started on that one this year um, in in February, and um, as we talk about this reconciliation, um, we're our goal is to minimize the difference between um, what parts inventory value is versus what um, the accounting value is. When we, when we started this at the end of February, we were just short of 3.8% um, difference. Um, and we were never able really to, to find what, what that was throughout the year. It's, it stayed very, very close in there. It bumped up to, um, to 5% at one point in time. It got as low as, as 1%, but it always bounced back to that that four percent number and when we uh, when they performed their physical inventory um, last month they they found it was it was right at 3.84 percent difference so while we didn't know what the what the problem was at that point in time by the time we had identified several variables um, that went into this uh, calculation. Um, we've we seem to have have stopped the problems that that occurred there between their previous inventory and and last last um, February. Had that bounced around a lot before you started doing this? Um, honestly, couldn't tell you because um, prior to this, I believe they were doing. A reconciliation one time a year. 
So um, they had had a pretty good size um, pickup on uh, parts the previous year. Um, Certainly a a much smaller pickup this year. And uh, the the two reconciliations they've done since their physical um, have both been um, less than 0.1%. Um, difference so far this year. Good. That's great. Um, the other piece that uh, has that we identified as, as an area uh, to work on um, while not um, tied to the fill rate or that that uh, reconciliation piece, um, it's part of it is definitely a um, a result of that, and that was to uh, focus on uh, gross profit retention. And um, they've they've seen good things happen there as well. Okay. Um, and so, Again, the, one of the things uh, about when key advisors mm-hmm. come to and works with is, uh, you know, we also try and improve the culture and, and the and the communication between the parts manager and these cantankerous, difficult to handle service managers. That, oh. That exists in most dealerships, but uh, you know, what would how would you respond to a service manager who said, "Yeah, can't you know this project? Uh, it kind of boiled down to the supply chain eased up, and and the fill rate improved because our suppliers improved their capacity to get parts on the shelf, uh, you know. And if if it if it if it bottlenecks again, we're going to have problems again. How would you respond to that very difficult service manager uh, with? with that uh, statement? Um, number one, I think, I think it's important to, um, to talk to your parts manager about it on, on a consistent basis. It's, it's very easy to, um, to, to make that complaint um, on, on that one truck that, that's been sitting there for a while um, and um, not understand what the problem is. You know, it 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 very well may be a, a national back order. It it may be, um, and, and that the parts manager has no control over it. It it may be that um, that one of our overworked service advisors never gave us the um, the okay to order the parts, and. Um, and it may be that the parts has dropped the ball too, um, but you know, Mark and I have, have had these discussions, and we've had this discussion with this particular customer. You've got to meet and and talk about these things um, on a daily basis, at at minimum. Um, sometimes you need to talk about it more often than that. And trust the processes, and trust the metrics, and be disciplined in your uh, in your your utilization of the metrics, and helping them run you run the business. Yeah, yeah. And I, and you use the word trust there, John. And I think trust trust that that guy on the other side of the counter, whether whether it's the parts guy looking at at the other side of the counter at the service advisor or service manager or vice versa. That, that they have your best interest at heart. That's right. No, nobody's out to to uh, to make person. a bad guy out of the other person. Yeah. We all want to win. It's team sport. 
Yeah, I know for a fact that uh, right after you started was the last time I was involved uh, there with the service people, and they already had confidence in the parts manager going to be doing the right things. I don't think they uh, completely exonerated him, uh, but uh, they already felt more positive. And all, all you'd done at that point, all we did at that point, was start communications with, with each other, okay? Um, what's the the old metaphor without any knowledge you think the worst I'm probably not saying it right okay but um, if you don't have any if you don't know anything about what's going on you think the worst right yep okay Kent where do we go from here is this uh, project kind of a wrap uh, and we just maintain a little visibility with the customer and go, go over the matrix periodically where do we go from here you know I think I think the big thing for this customer to uh to focus on still is are those in inventory integrity pieces um, because it you know if if we miss out on those for for any any period of time if it's more than a week um, it can come back and eat, eat you up um, just and that's just in terms of um, you know getting reports cleaned up in terms of what it can do to your inventory um, it may take a whole lot longer than a uh, than a week or so to get get that uh, that stuff cleaned up. So, Kent, did you uh, guys talk about OBSO or excess or cores or any of that as well when you were doing this? Um, we we did spend we have spent quite a bit of time on um, OBSO, and uh, you know we we had a lot of. We had a lot of obsolescence um, a year ago, and um, you know, one one of the benefits of of the pickup from the uh, the previous year's physical inventory, and um, we we were able to get a lot of stuff cleaned up. Um, but we've we've also noticed um, in in the last year, as as we look at um, things and and having a process established now for um, when we're doing returns um, and special orders um, how we're doing those things and with with this customer getting um, more involved with a vendor managed inventory that that allows um, returns um, that that were ordered through the system um, we're seeing things cleaned up a whole lot better, um, much less write-off this year. And um, I mean, they've got, they've got two, um, two sources of obsolescence that are of concern this year. Or I shouldn't say of concern even, uh, that are of substantial value. Um, and part of it is um, for truck bodies that, that they're currently awaiting chassis <coughs> um, to hit. And uh, the other part is for um, their OE parts that um, we've got got those returns available to us. Okay. So it's really cleaned up a lot. So, Kent, anything else for us? Um, the only other thing I would add is to go back a whole lot earlier in this um, podcast. 
John mentioned a, a quote from, uh, from Deming, something along the lines of understanding what's important. And, you know, I would just say um, for, for those dealers, those, those managers, understand <clears throat> what's important to your, your dealership or, or your department. And remember that no, no two departments or dealerships are the same. And uh, once you get that figured out, then understand how you, how you can go about, about measuring whatever that is that, that's important to you. Um, because if you can't measure it, you can't change it. And then get your team involved and make a plan on, on how to change. And, um, and then set about doing it. And if you need some help, Give us a call. All right, guys. Kent's left the building. And uh, I think that was informative. Um, I think it Johnny, was great. Johnny, thoughts, comments coming out of that conversation? Just uh, want to take this opportunity to wish everybody a happy and healthy Thanksgiving. Yes, sir. Back absolutely at you, right. Back absolutely. We are the three of the luckiest guys on the planet, and we... You know, lucky that we have such great clients and, and uh, exciting businesses, but uh, just uh, good health and all the rest of that to all of our listeners and happy, happy Thanksgiving. Yep, I agree. Very well said. Mark, anything uh, anything before we uh, call it a wrap? Any comments on what we heard from Kent or anything else? No, I think uh, uh, Kent did a really good job. I know he did good with that dealership because I know the dealer and he's very, very happy, uh, as he always does, and... Uh, uh, I kid about uh, parts as parts, okay, but the service department can't operate without the parts department, and right. they should be working together, and he did a very good job after years of infighting of getting them working together. So, Yeah, I think one thing that Ken didn't, probably didn't give the background on, and, and I think he's too humble on it, but what you talked about, Mark, in, in terms of the that internal culture thing, that was a real challenge in yeah. our dealership. Yeah, I mean, really that's a really real well. challenge. And he handled it really well. So, yep. yep. Gents, thanks again. Everybody out there that's listening, we appreciate uh, appreciate you listening. If there's a subject you'd like to uh, have us explore, we always are, are open game to that. So just reach out to us. And uh, until next time, John and Mark, have a happy Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you all. Happy uh, Thanksgiving, boss. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Thanks for listening to Three Wise Truck Guys, the podcast from Key Advisors. We'd love to hear from you. Send us feedback, comments, and questions to info at keyadvisors.com.